episode four, Laurel. I loved chatting with Laurel. You two were kind of on fire where it was just like ping pong, like back and forth. I barely had to do any editing. I was like, they're just like constantly like diving deeper into the next level of whatever the subject topic was. It flew by. Like when I sent it to you and I was like, oh my God, this is an hour and 15 minutes. I was like, I don't know what she's going to cut. Because you two are both just like on top of it. It's funny because I I love like long podcasts, but I have this thing stuck in my head where my mom, like when I first started this show, my mom was like, people don't like podcasts over an hour. And I was like, no, mom, you don't like podcasts over an hour. (laughs) But it really stuck in my head. Like I was so, I was so into her, her like today is day practice. Yeah. What a fantastic way to be present. And then I like ended up that my internet is talking. (laughs) First of all, she's like a really interesting person in that she has all these different practices that maybe some people would look at and not think they were connected, but they are. And also like I come from somewhat of a dance background, not as extensive as theirs, but Anytime I see like dancing through healing, which I saw was like a thing she tied together with her knowledge of performance. I was like, oh, I'm so in. Yeah, I really want to take one of her classes. I also have a a dance background. And I think what she was making me want to reconnect with is like not even dancing per se, but just like the embodiment and like the movement aspect of self-expression. Yeah. I collected a group of white practitioners and facilitators to do this like anti-racist training that was like for white facilitators and practitioners and Laurel was in it. So we got to know each other a little bit there. That's awesome. Yeah, the today is day. Did you ever do like isolating practices like movement yeah yeah we just like isolate there was something about the focus of like the isolation you have to be really present to do isolations right because you're like i just got yeah i can only move this one part of my body and so i don't know i like really connected with that i thought it was great but she's super cool i'm your host mia schachter I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a bit gender nebulous, which is a term that I made up, and you can use it if you like it. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, an embodied boundary guide for individuals and couples, and a consent educator. My interest in this work is mostly in consent, gender, and power dynamics. I offer Zoom classes live and for download through my website at sharetheloadinc.com, and that's where you can find private sessions too. Today, I'm talking to Laurel Atwell. She's a performer, performance maker, and Qigong teacher. Hey, Laurel, how you doing? Hi. You're like looking around like, oh, I know. I? I was like, yeah, I was waiting for like behind the screen. Yeah. And enter. here she comes. Yep. I'm ready to give my keynote. Great. Welcome to the stage. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm going to start by asking you not to define labor, but just what your feelings are around the word. My feelings around the word labor. I, labor is something that I think about a lot and I do many forms of it all the time for many years 
and I and I was kind of raised in an environment where labor was something that was discussed as sort of this like canopy general term. Um, so I feel like my relationship to the word labor is forever in conversation and therefore like forever in flux. So sometimes that's like a dirty word. It's like, mm. I'm going to have to do this like shit, this fucking labor. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the labor that will nourish me, that will feed me, that will like enhance multiple people's experiences. So it, it's a bit of a tapestry labor. Yeah. I like, I'm going to like pull a nugget out of there because I've been thinking <laughs> so much lately about the idea that there's like, there's things that we do that are work that are depleting and there are things that we do that are work that are nourishing mm -hmm. and there's I think that's like the two sides to that labor coin mm -hmm. um and what I'm starting to s understand and like try to really practice is recognizing that I need to like I need to nourish the parts of myself that are getting depleted mm -hmm. and I can't like fill that gas tank that got depleted with a form of nourishment that doesn't correlate. Like it has to be oh, the same. Aha. Is... Uh -huh. So you, you feel as though there are potentially like multiple tanks going on. There isn't yes. like a mega Uber tank. And yes. And I got certain this... energies. Okay. Yeah. I got this idea from a friend of mine, um, who I met through my friend who is his partner and he he made it so clear and then and it really like kind of snapped something in my head where I was like mm -hmm. oh yeah like I'm also considering all these things to be self-care when really they're like really depleting they're just things that I have to do to like maintain stasis Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. It's like if we're going to keep pulling nuggets, I want to pull so many nuggets from that because it's also it. like so one like talking about duality, like there's this concept of depletion and then this concept of nourishment and they exist in this sort of opposite. And I feel like I am both at a point of acknowledging that, which may feed into the other nugget, which is this idea around um, what did you just say? Oh, is something that you just said around, oh, self-care. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea that like you're doing something that's technically helping you or is supposed to be helping you or you've been told right. is helping you, but actually it's confusing. It doesn't go where you need it or want it to. Or it doesn't feel good. Yeah, or like, yeah, it's like not everyone needs to drink kombucha. Actually, some people, kombucha is like a totally like... <laughs> I'm one of those people. Not great like, experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to keep it like very surface and, and it, I feel like more and more I'm trying to understand how there is the very true experience of I get depleted and therefore I need to refill or find ways to nourish myself, but also trying to really understand how like the coin is really wobbly and there is a dip or it's flimsy and I can kind of like move it around and so things slip 
from depletion to nourishment and from nourishment to depletion and one action depending on the day, much like how I'm talking about labor, depending on the day, is going to work in a positive and at sometimes will work in a narrative. So to again, like talk about labor, like stay, staying vigilant inside of something like care or health, you know, which in the world we live in is becoming like a radical act. Yeah. For better yeah. or worse. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there was a lot in there as well. And I wanted <laughs> to, oh, okay. So I like this idea of like that it changes day to day, like that your relationship could change day to day to like different activities. I've been experiencing that a lot lately where like there's things cleaning. Cleaning is a great example. And this actually, mm-hmm. this is partially related to a conversation that I had with Brooke recently mm-hmm. um, where uh, like what I'm noticing is that on days when I'm feeling depleted, mm-hmm. um probably not even physically but like mentally and emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. cleaning is like oh my god like this i cannot imagine doing the dishes right now or like mm-hmm. sweeping the floor like oh how could i possibly do that today you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it's moments like that where i'm where i have these thoughts of like i wish i could pay someone to do this for me I wish I could I wish a friend would be like how can I support you today and I would just Mm -hmm. be like Mm -hmm. can you help me clean my you know like and then there's other days where oh here comes my cat there's she just like skidded into here (laughs) um and speaking of like witchcraft it's my my black my black kitty button okay so uh so there's other days when I'm feeling very nourished mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, I, I feel very playful mm-hmm. and then all I want to do is clean and I'll actually like mm-hmm. not do other things because I'm so into the idea of cleaning and it feels mm-hmm. ritualistic. It feels like a cleansing rather than just like a chore. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to kind of take some inventory of like, what creates the environment in which I have that relationship to it? Right, because when I hear that, I'm like, okay, there's like a concept of time playing into that, then like the energy level, then also like how desire is kind of bouncing around in there too, because even if maybe you're feeling depleted and aren't in the mood to clean, you still have a desire in there somewhere because you're like, I still want it to be clean and I want my friend to come over and maybe like clean or watch me clean or something like that. Yeah, so hang it's, out with me while I clean. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and yeah, like the what are the parameters that create possibility or what are the parameters that take potential and turn it into like manifestation or like activation, which yeah. is like such a huge part of, all of this like how do you take the alchemy of all of the moments and allow it to create like I mean what what also sounds like it's sort of like the perfect moment of like I have a lot of time and I'm feeling good cleaning will like enhance a certain sensation 
because it is very ritualistic and it's like I mean it's such a like taking inventory of space like architecture objects you're recharging everything like from the concept of you know yin and yang you're just like re-spinning the wheel and everything is getting to have like a reclamation with you and your body and your energy by touching all of these things mm -hmm. and so you're cleaning on one level by dusting but you're also cleaning by like reorganizing like on a like alchemical level as well definitely definitely the charge so this this idea of like alchemically changing a space i think mm -hmm. there's also i mean i think tell me if this is kind of what you were talking about mm -hmm. by like by changing the space around you you're also changing internally oh yeah Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, because the things, I mean, there are many ways to look at this, but more and more the way that I'm starting to see, especially from the work that I do in Qigong and looking at five element theory, it's like those elements are the thing that construct you, and but those are also the things that construct the internal world. And so when you are working with your microcosm, which is your body, body, spirit, mind, um, you, that is having an impact on the macrocosm, which is, you know, the entirety of the universe. So these two things are always in conversation. And so, like, bringing it into a concept of, like, labor or even, like, socially engaging with people, which at times is laborful True. and could be nourishing or, or incredibly depleting, um, it's, it's also like those people, how they're alchemically made up or how they're feeling inside of their elements is also affecting then how your makeup is shifting around as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about like the building the foundation that like best, um, or maybe it's not the foundation. Maybe it's, like, the soil. Mm. Like, what is the best, you know, composition of the soil mm -hmm. that you can then plant those seeds in mm -hmm. and, like, watch them grow? Right, because it's also then trying to... Cause, and that soil has to have... It's, like, some really, really dank soil because it has to right. be able to attend <laughs> to the thing of I wake up and every day I'm a little different mm. so how like which plants am I harvesting or like what seeds am I trying to like access in order to then like live my day the most fully yeah yeah so okay so then my next question is do you have like a specific example in your life where you can like track that of like making the soil the best possible soil for the seeds that you want to plant that day <laughs> um yeah uh this is a good this is a good question um <laughs> I feel like maybe that was probably about five years ago. I started doing a really simple 
a really simple thing where I would wake up in the morning and I would say, today, today is day. Today isn't, it's not Monday, it's not Tuesday, it's just, it's day. And so how do you feel inside of day? Like kind of, again, going into this element of time and expanding it. So it's not this day and you have to do this and this and this. It was like, what do you want to do in this moment? And it can be anything from like shitting to just like resisting, calling it day and really wanting to like get to planning or, you know, feeling hungry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a very, that was like the seed of soil. I was sort of like, I'm going to get this tiny seed soil, soil seed, (laughs) and hope it turns into a garden or like even just the bed of the garden because it's all, it's really evolved from there. And it's, and it's a complicated web because from that moment, it like started to affect how I thought about like, when and how I would work for income or when or how I would make my art. And maybe at that time you could say that I had very generalized ideas where it's like, I'm more productive in the morning Hmm. and at night I like to be social. And on these days I don't do that. And I'm a person who, you know, menstruates. So I was like, and when I'm on my period, I feel this way. And I feel like actually by, (laughs) even just saying today is day, it started to really deconstruct all these like statements that I had about myself within my identity. And I had to kind of be like, wait, for some reason, like for these past two weeks at like 9 p.m., I felt like responding to a bunch of emails randomly and I got really productive or like I actually didn't want to do something that I normally want to do at a certain time. And I really, instead of trying to enforce my, my own, my seemingly thought out in support of myself being my best self, I actually had to take all that apart and be like, actually, it's kind of chaos. (laughs) And so it's like, I wake up and every day is day, but it's, it's like, the language has even broken down at this point where I'm just like, I'm awake. (laughs) What is sleeping right now? Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure I'm awake. What do I want to do? And if you made me like, guess, I'm probably going to want to drink a cup of coffee, but like no guarantees, no guarantees. And I think in the end, like it was an incredibly complicated, convoluted process to get to releasing expectation, shame, you know, these like deeper things that kind of end up promoting a certain idea of what our potentials are or what our abilities around labor are um, that can be really like poisonous to the soil, but lurk deeply. So, and... I feel like it's not in any way that those have been banished or they're gone. They just more get to like come out and be looked at and sort of like, oh, I'm having anxiety around not doing something because I would rather be cleaning. Right. It's like, and I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. But I would rather just really enjoy my cleaning right now. So I'm going to try and like do that. Or, you know, and then that also means that sometimes – like today, 
I was supposed to be doing something semi-productive, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to like sweep this one corner of the kitchen <laughs> and then I'm going to lay down for 10 minutes on the floor, like in another room. And I did that and I woke and then I like got up and I felt so much better <laughs> like, hmm. and then I could keep going. How did you know <laughs> that you needed to sweep that one corner of the floor and then that you needed to lie down on the floor? Mm. I I think it again comes back to desire and I think it comes back to or like introducing intuition into this conversation. I just saw that spot on the floor and I was like, it it's getting to me. And this isn't an epic clean. I was just like, I will feel better if I if I sweep it. So I did. And then I was like do I want to keep going? No. <laughs> what What needs to happen? I was like, mm, you need to get grounded, like lay down. And so then I, it's like, it's such baby steps with the chaos muck. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, do you set a timer when you lie down? And I was like, no, not right now. And it was like, well, what if you fall asleep? And I was like, put on this podcast about morphic resonance. Maybe <laughs> osmosis, you'll learn something while also like getting grounded. You know, it's, it's complicated and it's not organized and it requires a ton of attention and labor, but I'm also, it's, it's willing to have the trust to know that at some point it will get more efficient. It, it will get a little it will have its, even if the system doesn't make sense to me or anyone else, it, it will like figure itself out and I will flow with it until it's time to like do something else. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's difficult, but I've found so much more ease or like this ability to tap into something called nourishment from this place than, than by trying to kind of force myself to, to tap into like the should or the, or the, well, it would be more responsible if sort of conversation. If you want to work with me privately, I am taking new clients for 2021 and you can find that on my website in the work with me privately tab. You'll be prompted to schedule your call and then fill out a form so I can get to know you a little bit better. Now, if you become a member on Patreon, you get to join me in ongoing learning and self-study. I will be posting my own thoughts and media that I find and dissecting it through the lens of consent and boundaries. I'll be posting journal prompts, mindfulness exercises, assignments, uh, and all kinds of other stuff, including the Venn diagrams that I was explaining to Jiminika. So if you're interested in that, it's running on a sliding scale. So no matter how much you pay, you get the same content. And it also supports the show. It helps us keep going. Yeah. So this this today is day like 
nonlinear time idea. Mm-hmm. How has that changed during COVID? Mm. This is also, <laughs> I feel like I'm like admitting all my, <laughs> all my, all my structural flaws because this is also, you know, today's day is like happening and COVID when COVID first happened, I mean, I lost all my work. I lost everything. And I was, and so it was like, okay, you're about to like really be inside. Um, how are you going to attend to time in this way? Because you, you're about to have so much of it that, and you were just coming out of having no time, really. All your time was being given away to something in some way. And so it felt like, it really felt like I went into like a residency or like a like a retreat, like a retreat around get to know thyself and like do it in this very intensive way. So it's kind of like today's day, but you're still here. So what are you going to do about it? While also then almost immediately creating like a structure around teaching where I was like, oh, I'll just like invent a schedule that I then will have to show up for. So it's also, you know, in this thing of like, yes, there's nonlinear time, but I'm also a human being. I'm also a person that's like trying to make an income. I'm also a person that um, is, is very much trying to attend to the role of being human, you know, while like experiencing like these psychedelic like events or like these ethereal or magical events, um, while also, yeah, being very mortal. So, how, you know, built a schedule that I've been attending to every single week since like the second week of March or something. So, you know, nonlinear, but at the same time, like so you know, organized in some ways, but I teach Qigong. So it's also like I'm scheduling these, these very specific things that I'm having to show up for, but it's all about people gathering and kind of like moving into this like other realm together. So Hmm. it's the constant in and outing, yes and knowing either or, but, and, experience which I feel like today is day plus this I feel like all of COVID I've just been having the the long hard look at the self and seeing what I'm what I'm up to and kind of or trying to the best of my ability not look away be like okay here's that and here's this it's like today's day and it's like and you are you (laughs) that's like what COVID brought out yeah (laughs) yeah I so it's interesting to me that you like you started out by answering that question with you're revealing all my structural flaws Mm -hmm. and then you shared this like incredibly structured like syllabus that you've made for yourself (laughs) so I'm wondering what um yeah, like that tension there. Can you talk about that? Well, I think it's it's this thing of, like, I see it as a structural flaw 
because I'm being given the opportunity to really potentially push what it means to not be inside of structure. And my response to that is, let's build a structure. Let's build a structure and let's like build it in a way that's about doing it all the time. And so I feel like recently I'm about to take like a, a break from teaching that I also schedule, <laughs> like I structured yeah. it in knowing that I wouldn't, if I didn't do that to myself and, and for me, it, it feels like it's a flicker or it's a reveal of something else of like, what are you avoiding? How is this sort of like a crutch or a thing that you are doing to resist something else? Um, my friend recently has is, is been talking a lot about the idea of a blind spot, having blind spots. And I'm sort of like, this feels like a very like shiny, it's like a very shiny blind spot. It's very shiny because I'm somehow being very open with it. And it is about like people taking these classes. Like you can see me inside of my, <laughs> my blind spot, which is I would choose to like schedule and do these things as much as possible as opposed to maybe enforcing myself to take space. I mean, I'm of course talking about this all kind of outside of like the larger capitalist construct of, you know, working in order to make money. But again, that's a question that I have about my relationship to that construct because I could so easily make that excuse of I have to work this much because I have to make money. Right. And it's like, well, that's just this like, that's just this very predetermined shoot. That's like a groove in my brain that like, was there from the minute I was born almost. Like, you're going to have to work to make money. And so what does it mean to attempt to challenge that while also still doing that? And I, you know, I hear that and I'm like, oh, there's, there's fear in there because you could fail. You could have nothing. You could, you could have a lot. You could all of a sudden, like, figure out some funny, like, four-hour work week or whatever the hell it was. Right. And, and what do you do with that information? So I, I think that's what I mean of my structural flaws. It's like my structural flaw is I still somehow believe in structure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to backtrack for a second mm -hmm. because I'm going to share something with you in the hopes that we can brainstorm. Um, someone pointed out to me recently that blind spot is an ableist term. Oh. And I don't really have a good alternative. Okay. And I'm wondering Ooh. if we can use this moment to find something that's more specific to what we're talking about. Yes. I think for me, well, I think another term that I could use is like a lacuna or like, mm, can you define or what, what's a lacuna? like? It's like a big absent space. It's like a hole in okay. space, hole in time. So it's sort of like, but it's okay. It's like a big hole in space, but I can't see it, or I don't know that it's there. So maybe it's 
you know, those like funny and like traps or TV shows or movies where they like dig a hole and they cover it up with leaves and then you step on it, you fall in. It feels a little bit like that. Like I'm walking along and I've even stepped in one of those, but I'm going to keep like in a cartoon way, like my legs are still moving (laughs) as I'm going down because I'm like, I'm just going to work right now. What, what do you mean? I just fell into a hole, like no big deal. And I even land maybe on more like land underneath. And then I just keep walking along as if, or like wanting to pretend like nothing happened in that sort of way. Cause if I were to acknowledge that it was there or turn my head and look at it or actually say, Oh, I fell into a hole and maybe I'm hurt. Should I, should I check in with my body? Um, (laughs) Right. Are my legs okay? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more this, like, I just need to keep going because I said that I would teach these classes at these times. And I said that I would show up in this way and I need to like make this money. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess I don't know if this is ableist because I only know about it from horses, but it's kind of like having blinders on. Yeah, no, I don't think that's ableist. And I think I've like I've I've shifted a bit toward using that metaphor of like, you know, there's there's only what I can see. Um, like if I have these, uh, you know, you could say like white supremacist blinders yeah. on or capitalist blinders on, then like my peripheral vision is significantly limited. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. And it's also like, yeah, and depending on how many, how many things are on, yeah, it could, they could just Mm -hmm. be getting like deeper and deeper. And then you have this like cone shooting out of your face. Yeah. Tunnel. (laughs) And you're like hitting people. It's like you're six feet distance because you know, because you have this like (laughs) giant tube coming off of your face. Yeah, made of, like, paper towel roll, cardboard rolls. Yeah, and, like, bad ideas. <laughs> right, and old right. And old thoughts that someone told you in middle school that you are still holding on to for some reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so... I, this idea of structure, I mean, it, I, I kind of wish that I had run with the foundation metaphor instead of the soil metaphor Mm. because I feel like when we're talking about building structure um like what I'm hearing is that you you had like the foundation preceded the structure like you had Mm -hmm. found a foundational capacity or ability to build a structure Mm -hmm. like you know you had enough self-knowledge you have enough enough information and enough you know, wherewithal to build a structure Mm -hmm. because the foundation already existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like COVID, like, stripped the previous structure and actually gave you, in a way, um, the opportunity to build the structure that you wanted. Yes, in a very, in like a in a lovely succinct version of that story. Yes. And I think 
also I feel very aware of how um, so easily maybe this is what I mean with the like bringing the blinders back in where it's it I feel so aware of how easily my structure that I'm wanting can become something that feels like the thing that was before which is like oh this is now just the job that you have to go to to like make your income or this becomes something that isn't um that is no longer fulfilling in the way that you were intending to as you started um yeah i mean having covid come in and kind of wipe things out was hard but i think so necessary for me in my life it was like yes something needs to actually like take all these things away because now i'm having to force because i was i was teaching and i was performing and making income as a performer and and so i was technically doing things that i wanted to be doing i was a professional artist sure. but at the same time like having these things taken away it was like now you have to really think about what what you want when you say that. And I think, yes, I had a foundation, I could build a structure, but I think it also, like when it comes to building this structure, I feel like I'm being constantly called back into the idea of specificity of like, well, okay, so what do you really mean? And also understanding that sometimes you're, I'm having to build like a little, like, escape chute or a little flap over here that I can like lift up and this room will, become more green or like I can have a window over here and over here and over here so that when I'm waking up and every day is a little different my 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 structure can adjust with me it can breathe and move and be with me in a very alive way and it's it's it is thrilling in a certain way because it's, again, it's it's the, like, day is day and you are you. Like, it's not about making it prettier. It's about making it just, like, more in sync with who I am in that moment, even if who I am in that moment is, like, a shitty little baby. And so it's like, well, we're going to pull out the bassinet now. <laughs> like, here. <laughs> oh, we right. saved it, it in the closet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, okay, so I think what you're talking about is this idea of adaptation. Mm -hmm. And I've found that, like, that is one of, one of the things that has kept me really hopeful through this incredibly challenging time is the ingenuity and the, the rapid pace at which we as a species ha have adapted mm -hmm. to this new way of life and this new like perception of time mm -hmm. and um and you know like I was I was back on set last week for the first time mm -hmm. um as an intimacy coordinator and people have adapted wow. like people are figuring out ways to do this that feel safe um you know I I moved out of my parents house in in part because they they were like I had to abide by their rules and mm. I felt that um that it was like my idea of what was safe was 
different enough from their idea of what is safe mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I felt incredibly stifled mm-hmm. and, and actually started to get, um, like, my all my autoimmune stuff was, like, really, really flaring when I was living there because of the stress of it. And I moved out August 1st, and a month ago my dad was like, um, I'm ready to start, like, doing our monthly dinner again and I was like I just moved out because <laughs> you weren't okay with that kind of thing and so we we actually had dinner last night and and I looked around and I and I was like this this is like the second or third time that I've been to a restaurant like mm. since March mm-hmm. and and I looked around and I was like this feels really safe to me like the tables are far apart um we're outside there's a breeze like these are not the conditions that people are saying breed like uh you know COVID transmission I'm getting a little off track here I think the adaptability like I was so impressed by the way that this restaurant was so resourceful they also like they spoke to their landlord they like broke down a wall they doubled their patio size they basically have the same number of tables that they used to have Mm -hmm. and this and it was like fully booked so you know as a small business they're making it work Mm -hmm. as um individuals they're making it work Mm -hmm. me and my dad are keeping this like lovely ritual that we have or not not ritual what was what would be the word for that like you know i don't know what what would be the word for that i think well i think ritual does work you do it every month it's like a yeah it's like a shared ceremony that you do together yeah yeah it's a little ceremonial it does feel that way um and so okay and then the other the other thread that i want to tie is that i i gave this well, you brought up how like healing and nourishment is like an act of resistance, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it always has been, but I think we're seeing it very more clearly more. right now. And like yeah. that language is, mm-hmm. is really coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I gave a talk at um, this event called Healing is Resistance a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and because the projector didn't work with my computer, I had to completely improvise. Like I, I thought I had a PowerPoint presentation and then all of a sudden I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I had to uh, like figure out what I was gonna do. There was a banner that said healing is resistance. And I was like, okay, my presentation like revolved around this line. It was a line, it was like a spectrum. And I was like, I'm just gonna use that banner and I'm gonna like run back and forth, like making it into this thing. And then this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, he, gave me a bunch of compliments. It was really nice. And then he said, I'm really happy to be an early adapter of your work. And I think he meant early adopter. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure, but he was also a musician and like a wordsmith. And so I was like, if he says early adapter, then I need to figure out what early adapter means. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like, I was like, I'll, I'm going with it. And, and it made me think of this whole idea around COVID and the, like, what does it mean? What would it mean to be an early adapter, mm-hmm. not adopter? Mm-hmm. Like a person who is capable of adapting to change early. Yeah, well, and I like the idea of him saying early adapter and having that be his intention of what he was saying to you, meaning that he's also taking what you're teaching him and he's like integrating it into his own body and then like using what's working and letting it morph and like transform and like 
be in conversation with his ecosystem so that it actually is like fueling him as opposed to maybe not just like doing some sort of like copy paste idea of like, Mm. you know, well, and this like goes into like the concept of like open source crediting, which is like a totally different conversation, which Uh we could bring into this, which I mean, I'd be so down, but yeah, it's sort of, it isn't just like, Mia told me this thing, so it's true. It's like I went to a thing that I experienced and Mia was there and they were saying this and I've seen from my life that I experienced it like that. You know, it's like it gets a little like more silken. Like I'm seeing it like a huge like piece of fabric, like unfurling in a way. Um, Yeah, adaptation. Adaptation is so resilient and also kind of unreliable in that way too because it is about blending things sometimes or seeing what isn't working and it's like oh I don't need this fourth limb I'm gonna cut it off and then it's like and now I'm doing my life how I used to do it with four limbs and I'm doing it with three things are shifting around and like what is the story of now like phantom live experience experience you know like I feel like that means that the story then like divides at a certain place and adaptation is about also like new truths or new new realities in a certain way I guess is what I'm trying to say there um I mean I think as humans we're we're never not adapting I think COVID was sort of this like macro epic adaptation inside of I mean, I, I like adaptation that then drew out so many other things like then the Black Lives Matter protests coming back in and like that in, in a very hopeful way getting like more integrated into our everyday so that it isn't about, again, going back into the idea of like orgasmic expansive energy this thing busted out like it needed to we were so inside for so long so yin so internal so isolated and then it's this need to just like be out be collectively angry be collectively loud having like mass expression of heat and anger and desire again and and I feel like my my hope is these ideas of adaptations it's like it is this idea of like this guy liking what you said where it can get more integrated and then we can let it become this like very long piece of fabric that just keeps flowing in this very um like strong resilient way that that has like early adaptation qualities and doesn't maybe need to rely on something around this idea of like, we're going to break it and then we're going to fix it. We're going to break it and then we're going to fix it. Or like, it's broken. How can we make it less broken? Right. It's, I mean, I also like the idea, which, you know, might be unpopular, but also the adaptation of like, I'm going to close down my restaurant. I'm not even going to have my restaurant anymore. Like, there's the adaptation to safety, but also the adaptation to like, like the unknown and just being like, yeah, yeah I'm not even going to have that thing anymore. And it's just going to go away, which I mean, I think some people have 
been forced into and hasn't even been a chosen right. experience. I'm offering a six week boundaries and consent course starting January 18th. It's every Monday for six weeks from 5 p.m. Pacific time to 6.30. This course is for anyone who struggles to advocate for themselves, access their no, find and communicate boundaries, feel pushed, bullied, or taken advantage of. It's also for anyone who finds themselves manipulating or not being fully transparent for fear of rejection or because they're not in touch with their desires and needs. Here's a description of it. Six weeks is the time necessary to begin a transformation. In this course, we'll work together on unlearning, de- and reprogramming habits and patterns. And within six weeks, you'll see a huge shift in your thinking and how you move through the world and navigate conflict. We'll begin to deepen and holistically integrate this practice to really work towards fluency and embodiment. Together, we'll heal while we learn and learn while we heal. The class is 450 and it's 300 for anyone who has excessive medical costs, has debilitating student loans, um, anyone who has ancestors who experienced slavery or land theft, and also for sex workers. I'm also offering a 30% off discount on top of that for sex workers and 25% off if you join my Patreon. So if you join my Patreon for $5 a month, you immediately get 25% off of this course. You can sign up for that through my website, sharetheloadinc.com under the tab, six week boundary and consent course. Yeah, I think, you know, you were saying something about like this idea of early adapting or adaptation as like a way to actually integrate something into your mind and body and I would say even like embody that new information mm -hmm. and it was making mm -hmm. me think about I think so the way that it played out was that this guy was like early adapter wait is that what I mean yeah early adapter and I was like cool like that if that's really what you mean then I'm gonna like figure out what that word means and I think that the difference that I'm now seeing is that an early adopter of something can be very superficially done yeah that sounds like fad it, right to me. and so I'm like, thinking about things like um you know activist lingo like putting an x right. in like every fucking word uh -huh. where you're basically trying to say uh -huh. that it's inclusive and and there's actually like a history to uh -huh. that x that I won't get into but like I'm, I don't like that X. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I used it at one point kind of like regurgitating what someone else had said. And I was like, Oh, I don't like that. Like, fuck. And I ended up issuing an apology, but I think that that was a very mindless adopting of something mm -hmm. that was not actually mm -hmm. embodied. And I mm -hmm. think this mm -hmm. idea, even like if you're looking at things like performative allyship, like that is mm -hmm. maybe you're an early adopter of like language and movement and different kinds of things. But until you're actually using those things to adapt, to change, to like right. really embody right. them, then they are, right. first of all, not really of you. Like you're just kind of painting them right. on. And second of all, they're not really mm -hmm. effective. 
because they're not, they're not, um, they're not coming from a genuine aligned place. They're coming from this, like, uh, you're just like parroting things. Yeah. And in that way that like humans are very human, it's sort of like, you might have to kind of adopt things to see like, is, do I like it like this? Do I like it like this? Do I like it like this? It's, it's the danger when it becomes, that's the only, that's the only thing that's going on of like when it just like trying things on and not actually letting them slip in and letting them stay. Cause when I, when you say that, it also sounds like adopting can stay in like the conceptual, yeah. it can stay in the cerebral. It is the, like, I can learn the lingo. I can like mimic mime the everything and get really good at that, but to actually adapt means that maybe there's a little bit of a breakdown. And even like in order to integrate it in, you have to lose other qualities right. too, like by making room for it and having to do like, again, back to cleaning, hmm. like doing internal inventory and being like, these things don't serve me as much anymore. Or in the end, they're not going to serve this new landscape, this new structure on the foundation right and I think that so they need to go away probably a lot of those things that end up getting shed were like survival mechanisms that functioned at one point Mm -hmm. that are like no longer helpful in this current ecosystem that we're living in oh my god and I feel I am feeling that Mm -hmm. really hard right now where it's sort of like things are shedding and I'm sort of like okay things are shedding great great Great, great. Almost at a rate where I'm like, can't totally see everything yeah, that's falling whoa. off, but <laughs> I'm just going to let it go because apparently it needs to go. And it does then feel like now I'm in a bit of a like, I'm like pre-adaptation free fall where it's like, okay, all this room is being made. How, what is going to come in and what is going to begin to like re- help me I don't know, like restructure, redefine, evolve. This is also like bringing in this idea of evolution. And for, and for that, like COVID, I, I feel very grateful for that because I also think that is happening on a macro level. I think it isn't just me and it isn't, always desired, but I think there is like a collective consciousness shift going on that I have a lot of questions about. I don't know. I think it's part of this like shedding and feeling in a free fall where I'm like, whoa, we we are shifting something as a group and I can't totally see where it is shifting to, but it's happening. I can feel it in like in my bones like from from a very embodied place but I'm having to just sort of trust it and see how I do choose choose a choice how do I choose Mm -hmm. a choice from any any given moment which is yeah 2020 has been has been a year of of a year are you going to choose that choice (laughs) right right are you sure (laughs) Are you choosing that choice? And it's like, I am me. (laughs) I am. Thanks for asking. I am going to choose that. (laughs) You know, I think what's coming up for me is like this idea that having choice is being 
treated as a privilege as opposed to a right. Mm. And we're seeing that. I mean, I don't know what it's like in New York, but like in L.A., the houselessness has just be I mean, it was always atrocious. It was atrocious when I was a child. When I moved back Mm -hmm. a few years ago, it was way worse. And now Mm -hmm. it is just unfathomable. And I'm looking, like, Mm -hmm. I I drove past a, um, like, you know, rather than kind of like a, a site of a lot of people, I drove past an area where there was just one tent or it wasn't quite a tent it was like a fort um on sunset Mm -hmm. boulevard and there was Mm -hmm. a an american flag and a queer flag like a rainbow flag and Mm -hmm. outside of the fort was a bunch of like nice vintage furniture that clearly Mm -hmm. these people like i was imagining that there were probably two people in there it was like kind of big mm-hmm. um just got evicted they got evicted like they just got kicked out of their home and mm. drove a van full of their shit on like onto sunset and and unloaded that van onto the sidewalk mm-hmm. and that is what mm. we're doing to people like through this crisis is like mm-hmm. the lack mm-hmm. of action is robbing people of choice like like you said about the restaurant like some people are like you know what this is the moment to call it a day on this restaurant Mm -hmm. and then there's other people who Mm -hmm. don't have a choice and they're being forced into that and and I think Mm -hmm. like the the problem I mean not the problem but like a problem that's coming up for me in this conversation is that choice should be a basic human right I mean I believe it to be a basic human right and I think that Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. something that when we see dysfunction in our government and our two-party system, a lot of what I see is like debates about what are basic human rights, like access to healthcare, education, yes. et cetera. It's like, yes. no, you have to earn that. You have to work for that. And like, if you don't work for it, then your children aren't entitled to it. And it's, right. and, and yeah. we're now even looking at things like these, just these even more basic needs, like access to choice should not be mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. as something that you need to earn or work for. It should not be seen as a privilege. It should be something that we mm-hmm. provide to people um, and make sure that they have access to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet it feels <laughs> so slim and rare and hard to find. Like I feel like so much of my day I'm often like, you know, and I'm a person that has so much choice in their life. And yet so often I feel like I'm digging around trying to find where I, where I get to have choice or I'm like inventing things in order to create experiences where I am practicing choice so that I can also like understand it better. Like you're saying so that I can understand it better so that when I am in a situation where choice is not being offered, I can be like, wait a second, I know, I, I know about this. And like, you're saying that it's not here and it's not allowed and it's not an option. And actually from my, like, you know, this is where like art 
becomes so productive because you create like a, an entire universe and you like exercise and you practice and you can rehearse things and it's like I maybe made it up but I know about choice over here so I'm going to ask or demand or fight for this thing to exist in reality because that's how messed up <laughs> this world is right now where it's like I'm having to create alternate realities in order for me to begin to experience something that is based in reality, reality. And I guess that's what I'm saying when like collective consciousness is also like the positive things around collective consciousness shifting. I feel more and more I am seeing sort of like fantasies or large things that maybe weren't possible are, are being invited in a little more and a little more. And that creates more um, energy, power, focus, charge, material, like material meaning like literal mass, but material also like fiscally. I feel like I feel like the fiscal bend like coming around and like starting to back things up where it's like, no, this gets to exist too. And because of that, it's it's a universe where someone who maybe didn't get to have choice all of a sudden is being allowed to live a life where where they have choice. And yeah, like you're saying, so much of <laughs> So much of politics and policy is around deciding who has choice when and where and the desire is to have less people making more choices. Right, right. And who gets to, like, the inherent power dynamic and hierarchy that comes from there being some people in the world who get to decide who else gets choice. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like, we could just take abortion, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, the idea that there are some people who get to decide whose choice is more important. Is it the person who mm -hmm. is pregnant, or is it the unborn fetus? Like, that, mm -hmm. you can boil that down to to an issue of of choice. I mean, it, I, I understand, like, it's pro-choice, but I think that the pro-life side of that is still about choice. It's just prioritizing oh, yeah, someone else's choice. Yeah, and it's also, like, creating this, <laughs> you know, one is, you know, there's like a positive and a negative inside of that. And it's taking like a negative space and trying to fill it up with this idea of like choice. It's like choice extraction to put choice over here then. And it's, it's very, I mean, that's where like double speak comes in and like so many like politic, like, uh, in my head, the word I can think of is like swiveling because that's what it feels like. It's this like meandering thing where they just work around ideas with certain like linguistic dexterity to make it seem as though the thing you're doing is the norm or it just is or should be. But actually within it, there's a lot of choice and a lot of people maybe worked really hard to make sure that that choice was made and then hidden. Mm. And so you think that you're just being... But actually, it was decided for you based on this back-end choice. Right. Oof. 
I mean, I could talk about free will and determinism all day. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of have to wrap up. Um, yeah. So, wow, this this took so many turns. It yeah. really did. It really did, and I feel like we were really cracking it open there at the end, too. It was like, ooh, we're going to talk yeah. about <laughs> some stuff. Well, and, and actually... <laughs> I'm I'm now thinking about like how choice ties in with consent. Mm. Because mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. don't ask for consent or we don't practice consent, um mm-hmm. and I this is a slight tangential thought, but um I do think that there's a difference between getting consent and practicing consent. Like, I think you can get permission without practicing consent, and that can be really problematic because you can coerce because you can coerce someone or manipulate oh. someone into saying yes to you. Uh-huh. So right. you've gotten permission. Or you can kind of, and you can kind of lean on, like, elemental, environmental stuff to kind of conveniently place something in your favor sort of thing as well. It feels like that a little bit too. I would even tie the thread all the way back to the word you said, which is duality, (laughs) which is the idea Mm -hmm. that there is this mind-body split. And so we prioritize like Mm -hmm. words and intellect over feelings and bodily sensations. Mm -hmm. So so there's Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. this way that people try to get consent in a provable quantifiable way by getting a yes Mm. even though what they're ignoring is body language prosody and eye contact and all the other ways that we express consent um and and the other ways that we express consent are embodied ways that we communicate outside of language Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and when so you can you can get permission without practicing consent um, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a way that makes p- your permission basically, you know, null and void because the other forms of consent were being ignored. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. What I was trying to tie was that choice, you cannot have choice without practicing consent. And we often rob people of choice by not practicing consent. I'm thinking of like ways that, um, well, like voter suppression, my God. I mean, voter suppression is like, uh, you know, you're, you're telling people that they, that they can't vote. You're withholding this choice from them by Mm -hmm. like, even before that, not bringing consent into the equation, making sure that Mm -hmm. they can't access this thing. Um, like mm-hmm. even the way that Trump right now is trying to like discredit ballots that didn't make it in by election day that were like right. postmarked before election day. Um, like right. those people had the illusion of having access to choice, but mm-hmm. in fact, their, their consent is being violated in all kinds of ways. They're being completely mm-hmm. manipulated out of being able to engage with that entire system participate right yeah yeah wow yes (laughs) yes I'm also thinking about how like I had such complicated like I'm a person that went to vote in person 
on election day. And I, the whole time, had to talk myself through trusting the right. thing. I had to constantly keep re-consenting to it because I was like, I don't think that this is going to work. Like, I don't think that my ballot is going to get scanned and it's really going to go through, even though it's all like my name was in the system. I got to vote. I put it through the scanner. It said it accepted it. But the whole time I was like, no, I'm being told that I have a choice. It's like my trust Mm. inside of the thing is so not there. I felt really aware. I really had to like walk it off after I voted. I was like, whoa, okay, my my trust, (laughs) my trust issues are like rising, rearing up so that even though I am practicing choice and I am practicing consent, I'm having like a very almost like idealistic experience of what it means to vote. And yet I cannot have any pride or pleasure inside of it just because I don't believe in it. I think it's a facade. And then I was like, you know, so, so many, so many complicated things, but yeah, I'm, it was. No, yeah. you're, you're, you're making me think that I need to have like an entire new, I don't know, like episode or class or something about consent and trust I think what I was trying to say before that got a little convoluted is that I don't think that you can possibly get consent without choice being present. And I think that that's where a lot of like permissions get given, you know, yeses get given, but there's actually no Mm -hmm. choice involved. Um, And then that Mm -hmm. consent Mm -hmm. is null. Um, But this idea that you actually... Right. Well, what is it called? What would you call that? What? The... The moment in which, like, because for me, I'm, like, I'm having memories of moments where, like, I was in a situation with someone who's, like, say, even, like, someone I'm dating. And so, like, on sort of, like, a general term, I'm giving consent, right, because I'm, like, engaging with this person romantically by choice. But there's a situation where, like, I'm not being actively asked about consent and yet I am being in the end kind of coerced into saying yes, even to like the most casual things based on like a certain emotional manipulation or something like that. And it's sort of like in those moments, there's like a part of the back of my neck or the back of my brain that's tingling that's sort of like, I'm telling you that this thing isn't exactly the thing that you are in. And yet reality is showing like you're just having a nice time with your romantic partner. Hmm. So and and no, there's no choice or consent in that moment. But there's still like an agreement on something because I'm still agreeing to something, even maybe if I don't know it consciously, which is like how coercion can come into it. I'm being told that I'm having a good time regardless of what I'm actually feeling. Yeah, I I like the idea of like naming that phenomenon. I don't have a name for it. And I think that Mm. what is, I mean, for the time being, I've just been calling it, I've been saying like, you can sometimes get permission without practicing consent. And then that permission is meaningless. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. It's like it really illuminates the both ends. Yeah. It's it's everyone actually has to it's like everyone is getting to have a choice and that may mean that everything has to slow down and get a little more complicated but wouldn't that be great yeah. and trust building in fact <laughs> dare, yeah and enriching dare I say and <laughs> yeah god forbid <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was really on that tip of like count every vote. I was like count every vote. Like I'm like you keep going, New York. Yeah, those yeah. Let's dollars. let's raise like... the popular vote. Like don't quit before. Yeah. Like let's know how much because and I mean obviously like we know now, but like are we you know the electoral college the results are in, but like the if it would continue to prove how fucking flawed the electoral college system is the more popular votes he wins by. Um, yeah. So we should count every fucking vote. I mean, I've yeah. also just been, like, pulling my hair out because I remember learning about different forms of government in elementary school and having democracy explained as literally, like, a system of government in which the people decide who is elected by a process called voting, you know? And like, I Mm -hmm. really, this is like my, the dream scenario that I've been having is just like having Donald Trump be asked, um, define democracy, like in a debate, you know, like Mm -hmm. what is, what is Mm -hmm. a democracy? Like differentiate it from all other government systems, of course, not saying, fascism or like dictatorship Mm -hmm. or an authoritarian regime Mm -hmm. um and just just to see what he says like what does he think a democracy is and what does he think that we're spreading to the middle east supposedly Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder if he even is thinking about politics no he's definitely not he's definitely not it's it feels like it's becoming some other like sensorial (laughs) Oh, I mean, he's like a baby with a poopy diaper and he doesn't know what to do. TV, TV show. It's becoming. Oh, it's a a reality show. show. Like Like it, he is, he is. Yeah. Soap opera. He is best equipped to make reality television and he has turned our entire country into a reality show. Yeah. And he's probably going to have one. I know. After. Oh God. That's what I'm, that's what I'm gearing up for. Him kind of sticking Oh, around. yeah. I, he's definitely not going anywhere. He just isn't going to be the president anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Well, that's a whole other rabbit hole. So I'm going to yep. ask you what three things were you prepared? You yes. Li- <laughs> I wrote them down. <laughs> okay. It's a tough question to ask, but it's always so illuminating. What three things just like very vaguely things whether it's a book a movie a podcast a conversation a person in your life have Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. been so impactful that you would say that they have formed the way that you think today yeah um i i tried to pick things from a like a variety of time, but very much failed. It's all from my adulthood. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like 
so much of my adulthood is about trying to refine sensations that I had as a child and then invite them back yeah. in. Um, so the the first the first thing that had a huge impact on me was mm. this is this movie called mm. Celine and Julie Go Boating by Jacques Rivette. Um, it's a French film. It was made in 1974, and the thing that I love about this film, or like why it had such a huge impact on me, was one. Um, I, I saw it totally cold. I didn't know anything about it, and I saw it um, like the summer right after I had done uh, a suicide attempt and had almost succeeded, and. I went, my friend took me to this movie and there was so much mourning in my life over so many things. And this movie is really long. It's like three and a half hours long. And it is these two women experiencing magic, but in reality. And they find like time holes and they like completely warp their experience of existence. And just to see something that was like being so smart and playful, but also so much about like the female, but even the femme experience, they are women, but they're really like messing around with a lot of ideas around identity and they merge and they switch identities. And, and so it, it really gave me a lot of hope. And every time I see it, I feel differently about it. And it's something that I keep returning to almost as a barometer of my own mind. And then the second thing is the, a person in my life um, who is, uh, her name is Melanie Marr. And she was my Qigong teacher who um, introduced this form to me. And again, uh, went blind, really didn't know what it was, was just trying to find a different somatic experience because yoga really wasn't cutting it. And I ran into someone I knew on the, on the subway and they were like, you should go to this lady's loft in Bed-Stuy, but like, there's no buzzer. So you got to email her to get your, her phone number and like, you know, figure it out because the times of the classes change a lot. And I went and from like the first class, I was like, I'm... I'm, this is it. It was sort of like I was being shown the path. It was like, and here's the path, and you're now going to go down it. And she very generously, like, let me do that. And through that, not only did she teach me this form that has had such a huge impact on my life, she and I even now um, are exploring or like I got to explore and am still exploring these ideas of what it means to learn, what it means to engage with other people inside of like the infinite or the invisible. She doesn't teach Qigong anymore. She teaches something um, called processes guide, which is essentially like what it means for people to be in a room together, creating something out of nothing. And through that, um, discovering a sense of self within group, develop, developing group, to serve self and yeah she's she's a very validating human in my life and then the last thing is this talk that I discovered I don't know maybe June or July uh, in COVID and it's this artist lecture that um, the artist Arthur Jaffa gave 
It's on YouTube. Um, and it's the Shoal Lecture Series, S-C-H-O-L-L, from the Perez Art Museum in Miami. He gave it in January 2020. And this, the way that he talks, he's a video artist. Um, he, the way that he talks about his process, just like... I mean, like, blew my mind, but blew my mind because I was saying yes. It wasn't like, I've never thought of that before. It was just like, oh, my God, yes, 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 yes. And this person seems to be, like, creating and manifesting and, and thinking on a level that feels feels so good. And so to hear him talk and to hear him talk about even, you know, like, some seriously grotesque things. Like, he looks at the black experience and is making art about the black experience, which includes like murder and demise and obstruction and callousness and, you know, all these other like totally detrimental things. Um, but he's doing it in a way where there, there seems to be such little fear and he seems to be doing it in a very generous way where he's like, it is about it being seen, but also I'm, I'm not making this for anyone other than, black people and like you get to witness the conversation but the conversation is specific and that kind of like oscillation and pendular swinging and him like really playing with all of that while then like speaking about even the most specific of just like how he goes about making what he makes really um it's like one of those simple things of there's a lot to learn inside of it, but it's also just the thing of like, just keeping going. Like I can watch this and be like, okay, just keep going. Great. We're all just keeping mm -hmm. going. <laughs> mm -hmm. Cool. I'll have to check that out. And I'll have to take one of your classes. Where can people find you? Oh, yes. Um, well, you can find me on Instagram if you're curious about um, specifically taking Qigong class. I have a Qigong Instagram, which is underscore at underscore the underscore well, W-E-L-L -L underscore. So at the well with underscores in between each uh, word and my the weekly schedule goes up there um the zoom link is in there all my classes are donation based they're all open level so you don't ever have to have attended anything to uh, join um, or if you're curious about getting that via email and not uh, being on instagram you can always email me which is laurel.atwell at gmail.com and then if you're just curious about the art stuff, you can find me at spookyaction.tiff. Spooky underscore action dot tiff. Cool. That's me. Thanks, Laurel. Really good to talk Thank to you. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Mia. Yeah, good to talk. I almost feel like it's like... We got to do these again, but I have to interview Ooh. you. So that. That's an option. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I'm going to stop recording.
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Consent Wizard. The show is produced and edited by Stella Hartman. Beginning and ending music is a collaboration between me and my guitar teacher, who goes by Sophia Bolt. The music in the middle is by Tyler Fjeld. The podcast logo is by Candace Ploy Goodman. For contact info for these exceptionally talented people or to ask a question about boundaries and consent that I'll answer on the show, you can email podcast at sharetheloadinc.com.